This evening we are looking at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18. This is what it reads. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. A lot of important truths in his concluding uh, lines to this epistle. Even it is right from the beginning, we have emphasized that there have been false teachers and John is writing this epistle primarily to ensure that the believers have an assurance of salvation. He emphasizes we know, we know constantly in this epistle. And also to give them a, a guideline on what is the genuine faith in the midst of this falsehood that is there. How can you find out which is true and which is not true? So, in this closing and our statements in this particular episode, he is basically speaking about our salvation and how we can be sure that yes, we are saved, you know, that we have been born of God. And the emphasis in this verse is speaking about what God is doing for us to make sure that we have this salvation that is secure. So he starts out by saying, we know, we know. If you notice, you know, this theme of knowing has been running right through the episode. In the earlier verses, we saw about how there is God's power that keeps us from sin and empowers us. We also learned about this power of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we are born again, have this new birth, and as a result, we are separated from the world and separated to God. And you also speak about because God is living in us, we have that relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit of God. Because of life that is flowing in us, His very life, as a result, our lifestyle is definitely going to be different. But oftentimes when you go through life, you know, when you fall into sin, a question may arise, have I lost it? Have I lost my salvation? You know? And here when he says, he who believes in him, and he who, we know that no one who is born of God sins. So sometimes a person may read this verse and say, oh, I have sinned. Does that mean that I have lost my salvation? Does it mean that if I am a believer, I will never sin? Now that's not what is spoken of here. You know? What is spoken of here is the surety that we can have that we belong to God because the scripture constantly tells us right from the beginning, isn't it, of this episode. If a person says he has no sin, he is deceiving himself. But if we confess our sin. In other words, the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit helps us to understand when we have fallen into sin. But if there is no convicting voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we continue living in sin, then there is a big question mark, John is saying, whether we really belong to Him. If you notice in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3 he wrote, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Then in verse 13 of chapter 2 he says, you know, He writes to the fathers because they know Him who has been from the beginning. Then in 1 John 2.14 he says he writes to the children because they know the Father. And 
if you move on further and count the number of times this word no comes in this first epistle, you will find there are at least 36 times that in this short epistle he emphasizes this word no, this word no. You notice in uh, 1 John 5.13 he mentioned the purpose of this epistle where he says these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And in verse 15 he said if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask we know that we have the request that we have asked for him. And in this last section verses 18, 19 and 20 if you notice three times he emphasizes this no, we know, we know, we know. In other words, he wants us to be you know, so sure of our faith, without a shadow of doubt, you know, that when your time is over here, you know that you are going to be with the Lord. When you are going through life here with all its you know, hardships and troubles and problems, you know that God is definitely with you. So when you're looking at this word no, okay, it is in the perfect tense. In other words, it means it's a settled issue, you know. This is like you have come to the conclusion, you know, you have gone through situations, experiences, and you know that God won't let you down. You have also gone through understandings of scripture to say, yes, this is who God is, and as a result, I know on the basis of the truth of God's word that God is going to be there with me forever. So this knowing is not just a head knowledge, but a heart experience as well, so that we can say with confidence, I know without a shadow of doubt. I know without a shadow of doubt that yes, God is there with me, he will take me through. Now if you notice in the previous verses, last week we spoke about a sin leading to death, a sin le not leading to death. So in that same way, and he is speaking further, if a sin that is not leading to death, and a person may have this question, what if, have I lost my salvation because I have and I've done this sin? No, he's saying, we know. We know this is the truth that a person who believes in God does not sin or does not continue to practice sin. If you notice, you know, that word that is used there for sin is a continuous tense. It's speaking about continuous to live in sin. He is not saying that he has reached a sinless perfection, as some people may say, that if you are a believer you should never sin. No, no, that's not a question. It's not a question of you will never sin, neither is it a question of you should sin. The issue is if we sin. In other words, sin should not be the lifestyle. It should not be the uh, lifestyle. The direction that you are going now is going to be different. Before we came to know Christ, sin was our direction. But now that we have come to know Christ, sin is not going to be the direction. The direction is definitely going to be holiness. It's going to be holiness. So when John mentions these three times, we know, we know, we know, this is also like a confirmation or a, a refutation for the Gnostic people who were there who are saying, hey, we know, you know, we have got this secret information, we have got this in a supernatural contact. 
Or they were saying, look here, what happens in the body is not important because what happens in the spirit is what is important. This is what we know. The spirit is what is important, not the body. So you do whatever you want in the body, it is perfectly okay. John saying, hey, that's not true. If a person says he believes in God, he does not have sin as a lifestyle. So it is not a head knowledge. It is not a secret knowledge. It is a heart experience which changes your lifestyle. So John is really saying over here that if a person has this new birth, he would have a righteous life. He would have a righteous life. There's a change that should take place in his or her life. If there's no change that has taken place, then there's a big question mark. So it's always good. That's why Paul writing says, examine yourselves, examine yourselves. Was there a change? Is there a change? Are you and I continuously being transformed into his likeness and image? Because that is the purpose for which Christ has come into our lives. Imagine if a pig falls into a mud hole, what will the pig do? He will wallow in it. He won't try to get out because that's his nature. But if a sheep would fall into a mud hole, he definitely wants to get up. He wants to get cleaned up. And he wants to make sure that he avoids that hole in the future. Why? Because the nature of the sheep is different from the nature of the pig. And remember when Jesus calls us, he calls us his sheep. He doesn't call us his pigs, isn't it? Yes, like sheep, we may wander, we may do stupid things, but as a good shepherd, he brings us back. Why? Because the nature is different. So God wants us to recognize that we are not pigs, we are sheep. We are not chickens earthbound, we are eagles in a heaven bound. Recognizing that if we put our trust in God, they that wait upon the Lord, they shall rise up. Chickens are only looking down in the bed for worms, whereas eagles look up. There's a difference, and that's what God is trying to tell us here, that there has to be a difference. So if anyone who is born of God does not sin. When I think about born again, the tense that is used there is a perfect tense. In other words, something that has happened in the past, as a result, now there is a change. There is going to be an effect of that. When a person is born into this world, it is a one-time event, isn't it? And then there is a growth from that. It's the same understanding. When a person is born again, it is a one-time event. And from there, there is a change that happens. If a person is not sure about that one-time event, if a person thinks that somehow he or she is just slowly evolving into becoming like Christ and hoping against hope that one day they will get into heaven, hopefully, no, that's not it. The assurance comes when we are born of God, when that event has happened. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he speak, spoke about born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Just as much as a person is born into this world, an event that happens, similarly a person is born from above, born of the Spirit. It's an event that must happen, and from that event there has to be growth. If a baby is born, there's no growth at all, we may say something is wrong. If we say, yes, I'm born again, but there's no growth, there's no change, there's a big question mark of 
who you really are. So if a person says that he or she is born of God, they do not continue in sin. They do not continue in sin. And the new birth, it is not you know, a passing experience, but an event that has taken place which continues to change our lives more and more into his likeness and image. It's a permanent one. It's not something that comes and goes, but it's something that is permanent. So you know, asking Jesus into our lives and asking him to con take control and saying, yes, I've been born again, but living the rest of your life, giving yourself to Satan, shows that you are not really saved. Okay? Shows that there is no real evidence of salvation. Because if a person says he is born again, then he has a new ownership. He has a new father. It's no longer Satan. It's no longer his self. That is what John is constantly emphasizing over here. Then he says, but he that has been he who was born of God, he who was born of God keeps watch. There's that little but over there, isn't it? You know, buts in the Bible are very important. So it says, one who is born of God does not sin. Well, because, but the one who has, who was born, okay, you know, who was born of God keeps him. Now the first part is one who is born of God, that is you and I, you know, who are born again. But the second part, who was born of God, is speaking about the one who <coughs> keeps us. The one who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. And this definitely speaks about the Lord Jesus, you know, who is the firstborn you know, of the incarnation. When he's speaking about firstborn, again, don't think in terms of, you know, as the first created being, but it's speaking about the hierarchy, or speaking about the uniqueness and the sovereignty, that he is the one who is over above all. So when I'm speaking about he who was born of God, who came into this world, as a man lived among us, died for us, rose again, he is the one who keeps us. Okay. Now, when we say we accept Jesus into our lives, Jesus comes in, the triune God comes in and takes control over our lives. That's a, you know, a surety, that's an assurance where God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to him. That's what the scripture teaches us. Now, so when we say I receive Jesus, it is not that Jesus came in one time and then he asked the spirit to come in one time and then he had to ask the father to come in one time. No, the triune God comes and dwells in us because God cannot be separated like that. And when we speak about the spirit bearing witness with our spirit, it is the assurance that God gives to us. Hey, now you belong to me. There's a change. There's a difference that has happened in your life. And because now we belong to God, God says he's the good shepherd. He's the one who's going to guard us. He's the one who's going to keep us. And if you notice in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 12, he speaks about this keeping power, isn't it? You know, if you notice in verse 12, he says, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. The word that is used there for keeping means, you know, to watch over, to preserve. 
That's what Jesus is telling us. He says when he was here on earth for the disciples and for the later on the disciples who would come, he is saying I am keeping watch over them, preserving them. <coughs> okay. So he says when I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name which thou hast given them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. So the scripture is teaching us that God guards us. Jesus looks after us. He preserves us. And if you notice even in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, Jesus speaking to the church at Philadelphia says, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing which is about, about to come upon the world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Same words, because we have kept, because we have preserved, because we have guarded our salvation, because we have made sure that we have not frittered it away, because we have kept it secure, the Lord says, I also am going to look after you, I am going to keep you. Remember, whose power is greater? Our power to keep or God's power to keep? Jude chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Now the word that is used here for keeping is a slightly different word. It's a more specific word which speaks about like a sentinel or a guard at his post. Okay? So the Lord is saying, I am standing guard to make sure that the evil one would not snatch you away, that you would not continue in sin, that my presence will be there with you. That is the doxology in Jude where he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, keep you from falling. So, try and picture that, you know. If you are going through frustrations in life, you know, and saying, Oh, I can't make it, will I make it? Hey, don't look at what the power that you have. Look at the power that God has. God is saying, I will keep you from stumbling. It is his power that protects. It means that he is constantly keeping an eye on us, constantly watching over us, constantly attending to us. You know, it's like a God who is, you know, watching something that is in his possession as if it was some real precious thing to protect. That's what God does for us. So we are precious to God. Don't think that you know, God will allow us to just fall away. No, He is the one who is protecting us. He is the one who is preserving us. And the word that is the word that is, the tense that is used here for keeping is the present tense, which speaks about God continually watching, continually protecting, continually guarding. You remember the scripture says, He who watches over us does not slumber or sleep. So remember, our security of our salvation is not because of our grip on Christ, but it is because of His grip on us. When you are climbing, you know, you may think, you know, I am holding on to somebody, that person is weaker than you, what will happen? You will pull down that person also. But if that person is stronger than you, even if your hand is slippery, that person's hand which is holding you on will assure that you will definitely go higher. 
That's the image that God gives to us even in this verse this evening, that God is the one who keeps us. His hold on us is much, much stronger than what we can with our feebleness hold on to him. So remember, our security is not on our grip on Christ, but it is his grip on us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 tells us it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he keeps us and also he ensures that the evil one, that is Satan, does not touch us. Now, what a beautiful promise here this evening. Not only does God say, I'm going to watch over you, you know, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to guard you, I'm like a sentinel and guard, you are precious to me. But the scripture says the evil one will dare not even touch you, you know. What an assurance to know that the evil one cannot do anything to us. The one that is in us is far, far greater. The power that is in us is far, far greater. So we don't have to fear the evil one. We don't have to be afraid of the evil one because the Lord says the evil one will not touch him. You know, we notice, you know, definitely the evil one is speaking about you know, uh, Satan over here. But he's not saying that the Satan will not attack us. He is not saying that Satan won't trouble you because remember the whole armor of God is to protect ourselves from the fiery darts of the evil one. Peter also speaks about you know, Satan roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's trying to do different, different things. It's not that because we are now believers he says, okay, I lost this guy. No, no. He is trying to do his level best, but he is a defeated foe. No matter what way he tries, he is not going to succeed. Remember Jesus, when he looked at uh, Job, you know, Satan came and said, look here, I will do this, I will do that. I said, go ahead, don't worry, you know, he would not let me down. Why would he not let me down? Because God was still holding on to him. It is God's hold on us that ensures that we don't give in to the evil one. So the idea is not that the evil one cannot assault us, you know, but when you're speaking about, you know, uh, touching us, the word that is used there is clinging, you know, taking a hold of us, you know, grabbing us by force as it were, so that we fall into his evil clutches. Now in the Pilgrim's Progress, we have a person by the name of Christian who takes this journey and it speaks about how you know, he falls into this evil clutches of the evil one and then lands up in a place called Doubting Castle where he begins to doubt whether he is really saved. Okay? But we definitely learn that he was able to get the key to escape from that Doubting Castle and get to the celestial city. The key to get out of our doubts is faith. Faith in God's word. When God says, look here, I'm protecting you. When God says the evil one cannot snatch you out of my hand, we trust that. If we don't trust that, we are still going to be in doubting castle. The key is to be assured that God says, I will definitely protect you. I will keep you. I will keep you. So in a way, John's words here are an amplification of the prayer that Jesus <laughs> made in John chapter 17. Verse 11 onwards he says, I am no more in the world 
and they themselves are in the world and, and I come to you Holy Father keep which that which thou hast given me that they may be one even as we are one that is his prayer to the Father Father I am praying that you will keep them together even as I have been praying. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name which thou hast given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished by the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy, which is made full in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Verse 15, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. What a great encouragement to know that the Lord Jesus is praying for us that the evil one would not touch us, would not turn us, snatch us away. And if God is praying for us, you know, <laughs> whose prayer God will answer. You know, we can be rest assured that the evil one cannot take us away, cannot snatch us away. The word that is used there for touch in Greek means to grasp, to lay hold, you know, basically with the purpose of, you know, manipulating. It is like holding and twisting, you know, that's the imagery. So when it says the evil one cannot touch you, it is speaking primarily about the evil one cannot lay a hold of you. Remember Jesus spoke you know, to, uh, uh, of Peter to say the evil one has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. Yes, Satan will try and sift us like wheat, but be assured when the Lord says, I'm the one who's going to keep them, I'm assuring them, and I'm the one who's making sure that the evil one cannot snatch us, cannot grab us, cannot manipulate us, cannot twist us. When will that happen? When we put our trust in God. But if we forget the faith in what the Lord has said, and like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, instead of believing God, they believe the lies of Satan, then you're going to live in Doubting Castle. You're going to live in depression. So the choice is left up to us. Focus our attention on what Jesus has done for us. And if he has done this for us, we can be assured that nothing will assail us, nothing will torment us, which is you know, beyond the capacity of God to keep us. You know, the same word you know, in Greek is used where Jesus speaks you know, in John chapter 20 and verse 17 to Mary when he says, don't touch me. Some translations will give you the actual meaning. He says, don't cling on to me. You know, don't fasten on to me. Okay? That's the understanding that Satan cannot lay hold of us and twist us and snatch us out of the Father's hand. This is the assurance, and that's what John is saying here. Do you know this truth? Do you live in this truth? Is this only a head knowledge? Is this a hard experience? That is what the knowing is all about. That deep down in our hearts, without a shadow of doubt, I know that God's hand will take me through from this life to the next. I know that nothing is going to happen to me because God is watching over because God is assuring that the evil one cannot manipulate me. If we trust in God, our focus 
comes to a life of faith and victory. Let me close with uh, what John Piper mentions about the evidences of the new birth and that he summarizes of all the verses that we find in this particular epistle. You know, he says, those who are born of God keep his commandments. Those who are born of God walk as Christ walked. Those who are born of God don't hate others but love them. Those who are born of God don't love the world. Those who are born of God confess the Son and receive Him. Those who are born of God practice righteousness. Those who are born of God don't make it a practice of sinning. Those who are born of God possess the Spirit of God. Those who are born of God listen and submissively give themselves to God's Word. Those who are born of God believe that Jesus is the Christ. Those who are born of God have definitely overcome the world. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer together.